Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about the fifth installment of a beloved franchise for both of us, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Well, in that case, what are we drinking? Same for the goddaughter. Dad told me you found something. On a train during the war. A dial that could change the course of history. Why are you chasing the thing that drove your father crazy? Don't move. We need to get out of here. Stop! Sorry. Helena! Dr. Jones, get him. Hitler made mistakes, and with this, I will correct them all. You stole it. Then you stole it. And then I stole it. It's called capitalism. This way! Fasten your seatbelt. There might be some tablets. You've taken your chances, made your mistakes, and now a final triumph. A few times in my life I've seen things. I've been tortured with voodoo. Been shot nine times. Including once by your father. Ah, sorry. But I've been looking for this all my life. you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. So this one was directed by James Mangold, uh, and it stars uh, a guy you may have heard of before called Harrison Ford, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Antonio Banderas, John Rhys-Davies, and the villain. I can't think of what his name is. I don't know why they're not showing him. Yeah, Mads Mikkelsen. They have like him way down on the list. I don't know why that is. Uh, and the s- description from Rotten Tomatoes, Daredevil archaeologist Indiana Jones races against time to retrieve a legendary dial that can change the course of history. Accompanied by his goddaughter, he soon finds himself squaring off against Jürgen Voller, a former Nazi who works for NASA. All right. So this was obvious. This was a brand new movie. So it was new for both of us. So first time watch. So what did you think? Yes, and we should decide. Generally speaking, we spoil films. Are we going to... This is a brand new movie still out in theaters. Are we going to spoil this movie? Yeah, let's do... Because uh, I want to talk about the ending. And, and so let's just say, you know, if you want to see this, go and watch it. It's still in the... At the time that we're recording, it's still in the theaters. Why don't um, we, how about this? Why don't, we, why don't we have our cake and eat it too? We'll talk about it. 
in general terms and we'll avoid spoilers and then at a certain sure. point we'll say all right and from this point on we're going to start ruining the movie because we got to talk about some of this stuff is that good yeah i like it yep sounds good to me okay so first part of this is going to be non-spoiler as much as possible um what did you think i loved it um so i would say uh, spoiler alert i loved it um so I, as you said, it's a beloved franchise for both of us. I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark in, when I was eight years old in the theater with my dad, and I've loved Indiana Jones ever since. Um, when the first trailer came out, I was very excited. And then you started getting reports from Khan or Can, and then the movie, I, I, it was, I don't know, a uh, week and a half or something after it came out that I actually saw it. I didn't see it like opening weekend or anything, but I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter where people were saying, Oh, it's just a big CGI fest, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So I lowered my expectations a bit. Um, but I, I wound up really enjoying it. You, um, I thought w one of the really smart things that I felt that they did is, with the first two, with Raiders and Temple of Doom, you have love interests throughout the film that are running around with Indiana Jones. And, you know, it would be a little bit silly to have an 80-year-old man with a love interest running around. So they have Phoebe Waller-Bridge as his goddaughter, which I thought was just a really smart way to have a female character in it, but it's not a, it doesn't have to be a romantic female character and i thought she was fantastic and we talked you know off mic uh it unfortunately this movie you know hasn't done well theatrically i'm sure it'll get tons and tons and tons of views when it hits disney plus but this is just my own thinking i i you know i don't have any evidence of this but i wonder if maybe they you know if this had been a giant hit if they would maybe have kind of passed the torch along to her and done some spinoff thing, things, with, which I think would have been great. Um, but, you know, I thought uh, Harrison Ford, of course, you know, he loves this character. I felt that he gave it his all. Um, I thought they really did a, James Mangold did a good job of making it look, you know, as much like that you got to figure you're talking movies from the 80s and filmmaking has changed and all of that but you know i felt he he did a uh, a good job of keeping it within the look of the other films as best you can um some of the stuff specific points that i had i'm trying to keep away from spoilers um i thought the uh, i forget what his name is but the the kid sidekick i thought uh, when you see the kid at the uh this is going to be bad. I thought he was good. You know, mm -hmm. he did a good job. Mads Mikkelsen as the villain was, I, I just thought the casting all around, I felt everybody was really giving it their all, you know? So what, what about you? I agree with everything you said. And after conflict. the crystal, we need, we need conflict. We have to argue. Right. Well, after <laughs> crystal skull, I was concerned because mm -hmm. I really, when that movie came out, um, I, f I found it very disappointing mm -hmm. and not because the people in that film weren't any good, um, all good actors. It was just something 
didn't quite land with it with me when I saw that film. Um, now, so I mean, I went into this one with uh, with not great expectations. I went into oh wow, they're really making another movie, you know, thinking oh boy, this probably isn't going to be great. Now, recently, my daughter Nova and I um, watched the entire. I was like, hey, um, and I apologize if I already said this on another on another episode, but uh, I said, hey, there's a movie I bet you'd really dig. Uh, it's no an action invented. Yeah, action-adventure movie. And, uh, and it's called Indiana Jones, and uh, it's called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Have you ever heard of it? She said, no. And I said, what do you think? You want to check it out? And she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, a guy gets his <laughs> face melted off, and she goes, okay. <laughs> so, so we watched it. And her immediate reaction was like, the CGI was pretty bad. And I was like, like, that oh. CGI didn't exist then. <laughs> you know, oh, no. You know, and she's like, I was really expecting more from the guy with the face mask. She's like, that part was pretty cool. But I wanted more of that. And I was like, all right, well, can't win them all. But the next day, she approached me and she said, can we watch the second Indiana Jones movie? And I said, absolutely. So now, had she looked it up to see that it had scary stuff in it, or she just wanted to watch another one? No. she. I mean, I had told her there's there's five of them, and the fifth one is coming out. I said, if you like the first one, we can. they're, they're some of my favorite movies. We can watch the, the other ones, and then we'll go see the last one. Um, so then she's like, can, I, can we watch the second one? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, now this one you're going to love, because it's the scariest, I think. It's the most like a horror movie. She's totally into horror. So um, we watched that, and the problem with Nova is she hates bugs, so that bug scene in it was really upsetting for her. And, uh, you know, she's got issues around food, so that dinner scene was a tough one for her. It's pretty gross. But uh, she loved the Molaram scene, and uh-huh. uh, she just thought that was great. <laughs> That's great. I love that. So so once once we had seen that one... I had her hook, line, and sinker. And then the next day, we watched uh, Last Crusade. And, you know, it was funny because we had we've done that one recently. And mm-hmm. the father and son stuff and, the you know, that all resonated with me in richer ways than they did when I first saw that film. Um, but it was... It, Nova didn't connect with that as much, mm. you know? And then, so then we watched The Crystal Skull together, you know, and I enjoyed it more than I remembered enjoying it. It's not my favorite of the four, but it's, you know, it's still an entertaining film. And then uh, and then we went to see Dial of Destiny together, and she walked out of that saying, that was my favorite of the whole franchise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think it'll ever replace Raiders for me, but I enjoyed it enormously. And I really think that I have to hand the gold ring to James Mangold. I think that his directing on this, and when we, when we first started talking about it, and I saw or you mentioned, or I became aware that it was James Mangold, I thought, well, this might actually be great, because I think he is a terrific director. I think he nailed the tone. I think he got everybody in the same universe, right? I think, you know, you say all the actors was great, but they all they all hit the right notes, and you have to hand that to the director to make sure yeah. that everybody is 
is all in the same universe in that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I know we need conflict, but I love, love, loved it. I, I, yeah, I want to start kind of picking it apart. I think there's a lot to talk about. So you mentioned Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I agree. Um, takes the place of a love interest because he's kind of chasing her. She's kind of the sidekick. You know, she's the swashbuckling partner. But they do a fun thing where she's a kind of an unreliable partner. Like, she has her own agenda. And we don't think that when we first meet her. But it's a pleasant surprise when we find out that she's she's operating under her own. Mm -hmm. Right? And he kind of takes that for granted at first. And I kind of love they make him the crusty old man. Like, he's the, basically, there's literally a bunch of neighbors and they have the music on. He's like, leans out the window and yells, turn it down. <laughs> but you know what? I wanted to, so that was a complaint that I, and I'm, I'm probably going to be addressing a lot of things that people didn't like about the movie. I felt like that, because I, I saw some some people saying, I don't want to see a grumpy old Indiana Jones. Just let him, just let me remember him as a younger man and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think they, it could have been just nonstop jokes about, you know, breaking hips and stuff like that. And I don't think they did, you know, they no. addressed his age in a, a, a reasonable way. I mean, it's, you know, he's 80 years old and you have all this and you have all this stuff with him retiring from teaching and, and that, and that was, you know, people were saying it was depressing. I, I thought it was kind of touching, you know, and I, I felt that they, I just thought the writing was really good with that, that they addressed that in an appropriate way without just beating you over, over the head with, look, he's old, right? You know, they yeah. made some jokes about that at his expense, but it was it was never overdone, I didn't feel. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And even kind um, of addressing I, just mortality, you know? Yeah. That yeah. all getting and, older. And we, we're going to get into that more once we start talking about spoilers. But I agree with you. The kid, as soon as I saw the kid, I thought, Ugh. but the kid was good. I didn't think mm -hmm. the kid was necessary. No, but I think that's part of the formula, and so, you know, there he was. But he was fine. He didn't. I didn't find him to be um, a shortcoming of the film. And speaking of kids, I went on a Saturday after, like a Saturday matinee, and there were it. It was a probably three fourths full, and there were a lot of kids there. I mean, little kids. And it was really neat. I wish I had taken, stopped and said, hey, can we take your picture? In front of us, there was a guy with probably, I sent you a picture of this, I think, but probably his three or four-year-old son. And the dad was completely dressed up as, as Indiana Jones, which I thought oh was Oh, my gosh. And the kid, the little boy asks questions all through. He'd be like, why, you know, and it, it, if it would have been somebody older, it would have been kind of annoying. But it was since it was a small child, he'd be like, dad, why... Why is he doing that? Or why, why is this happening? You know, and he'd have to like kind of lean over and explain to him. But, you know, there were lots of children, you know, little boys and girls. And I thought it's probably going to be like your daughter. There, there are going to be a whole lot of kids that this is going to be their favorite one. Yeah. Because much like me in 1981, seeing yeah. Raiders in the theater with my dad at eight years old, 
these kids are going to be like, oh, I remember when I went with my dad or my mom or whatever to see yeah. Indiana Jones 5, you know? I really... So I really um, that was neat. I really enjoyed getting to see it with Nova. I mean, mm -hmm. this is the kind of movie my dad and I like to go see. Yeah. So it really does feel like, you know... And then yeah. we... <laughs> much, much to my wife's chagrin, Nova and I both like to talk through movies. Mm -hmm. Me less so in the theater because the volume's so loud and I'm conscious of other people. But like if we're watching something on the couch, <laughs> we're just like blah blah blah. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, well, that, was, that was awesome. <laughs> we just talked the whole thing. I don't know if you remember this, but you and I went to see with my dad Empire Strikes Back. And we were like, for the first 10 minutes of the movie, we were just sitting there talking. He's like, oh, look at that. That's cool. And my dad had to be like, hey, you guys pay attention to the movie. Yeah. Because you know? we were just sitting there talking. Geeking out <laughs> about it. Um, what do you think? Do you want to start, you want to start digging into the nitty gritty? Yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead with uh, Okay, spoilers. so official spoiler alert. If you don't want us to talk about everything that happens in this movie, then you should... Come back after you see it, because we're going to really start chopping it up now. You have been warned. All right. So now that we're ready to spoil it, what is some of your favorite secret stuff? So so I'll have this. This will be a part that I really loved and also where I get into a little bit of the criticism. So we open with it's in... I don't know what year it is, 1941 or 42 or what it's, you know, it's Nazi Germany. Right. Indy has been captured and they, uh, you know, it's young, a young Harrison Ford or, you know, that early eighties era Harrison Ford. And they, Harrison Ford says that they used footage from the previous films to create that. And, you know, they did it digitally and it, a lot of the time it works really well. Some of the time you've got some uncanny valley stuff going on. So that yeah. would be the part where I would say, you know, you had some CGI stuff that didn't a hundred percent work. The other thing that they did with it that I thought was funny is, you know, Harrison Ford did his own voiceover now, but it's, old Harrison Ford voice. And, you know, it that, sounds like that. Yeah. And he talked so about like, how what? He, he, I saw an interview where he was like, you know, I can, you know, he's like, my voice is deeper now, but I can do a higher register. And it didn't sound like he did that at all. No. I, I felt like they could have, you know, I'm sure they could have manipulated that digitally and made him. They could have deep faked it or they could yeah. have hired an impersonator and you Mark never, Hamill. Yeah. you never would have known the difference. I mean, right. there are voice actors working that can do. They do that frequently, like with Christopher Walken. If they can't afford to bring him back to do an ADR of three or four lines and they're not going to pay a day rate, or if he's unavailable, they'll hire somebody to come in and do Christopher Walken's voice, and you you couldn't tell which lines in the thing. You know what I mean? So they could have done that. They absolutely could have. I bet Harrison Ford was like, I'm doing my voice. Nobody else. I, I almost guarantee that he was just like. That's you know. fine. Except, you know, the studio doesn't just bend over backwards on everything. No. Um, it didn't ruin it for me, but it no. was. you're right. There were times when I thought I was looking at it and I go, if that is CGI, 
that is amazing. That's mm. amazing. But then there would be shots where he turns and, you know, the human eye is very sensitive to it. So there'd be times where you did get that kind of uncanny valley. It looks like a digital mask. And, and you'd see it. You'd see the seams. And the voice was another thing. There's that young face. But that gravelly old boy. <laughs> like, what? But they're it's getting really there strange. with it. And I thought oh, yeah. that sequence to open the movie, I loved it. I thought it, it was, was great. And it felt, you know, it immediately puts, I even note, I noticed, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but they used the same font yeah. uh, that they used in, the, you know, that kind of white, outline font that they used in the other films and so th to me they just immediately put you right in the feeling of the uh of the original films so yeah. and they give you a little red herring because of course he's breaking into a german castle that's full of kind of religious and occult artifacts that they're packing up and shipping off to hitler and he's breaking in there and gets caught and all mayhem breaks loose and it ends with him on fire and there's a chase on the train and on the train the the coveted artifact we think we're talking about is the spear the actual spear that was used to pierce christ's side mm -hmm. and so i'm like oh here we are again with a uh, you know with a christian Religious thing mm -hmm. yeah yeah with a with a yeah exactly and um I guess the Ark of the Covenant wasn't a Christian thing, although technically, but but it turns out it's a fake right off the bat. And they're like, "Oh, yeah. this is a fake," uh, but it's Mad uh, Mickelson that's like, "Oh, there's there's a better there's something else on the train that's of bigger importance. It's half of the Dial of Destiny, right? Archimedes." So we get to go back into ancient Greek stuff, which I think was really really cool, you know, because we dabbled in other cultures before. And I thought the fact that we started to play with, you know, the ancient Greeks was, was dynamite. And then they, so they go and they take them back to the Mediterranean and they're running around, you know, the kind of familiar feeling haunts. And I thought what they did, I was expecting it to be a time travel movie. Like they go, chasing around through time right mm -hmm. they go through a rift and it's the wrong rift and then they got to find the in the you know they got to get back to the future basically and get it you know what i mean and it sort of both was and wasn't that and it wasn't that in ways that i thought was really fresh when so i mean i guess we're spoiling it but when they when they go through the rift mad's is a Nazi. He's trying to get back to um, a point in uh, Nazi history where he can. Was it? Did you think he was going to try and kill Hitler and take his place, or he was just going to yeah, advise he, Hitler? He, he f I'm not sure exactly what the plan was, but he felt like Hitler made too many mistakes, and he felt like he was the guy to. Uh, be in charge of the Third Reich, you know, and, and win the war for Germany. He, he um, says to one character, um, American character, you didn't win the war, Hitler lost it. Mm -hmm. And so he's trying to go use this dial of destiny to go back and win the war for the Nazis. So when they do find a rift and they go through the rift, 
there's this whole what turns out to be a red herring of like, oh, you didn't when you put these coordinates in, you didn't account for you know continental drift. Like Archimedes wouldn't have known about continental drift. You're going to the wrong location or whatever. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, they end up at like in like 200 BC or something like that at the at the uh, siege of uh, Syracuse. And so you think, oh, no, now we've got Nazis in a, you know, in a Nazi bomber in ancient Greece. And the, it's the siege of Syracuse, the Romans are attacking Syracuse. And the Greeks are using Archimedes, all his, he's got these giant mirrors that they use to reflect the sun the way you would use a magnifying glass. And this is real stuff. Like mm -hmm. they have these giant ballistas that shoot these huge arrows, essentially, but they're the size of like, you know, telephones, they're not that big, but they're huge. They're big, yeah. And I love, there's a scene in which he's sort of realizing that they are in history, and one of those arrows, ballista arrows, punches through the side of the plane near his face, and there's just a moment where he kind of touches it in wonder, like, this is literally history, this is the kind of thing we go trying to find and dig up, and this is really it. When they're there... I thought what they did with the color was absolutely beautiful. It didn't just, you didn't have to take it on faith that they had traveled to the past. It really felt like it. Mm -hmm. Like it, just the sky seemed cleaner and the water seemed bluer and the whole chroma of the entire world somehow felt pre-industrial in a way that I can't quite put my finger on, but it really did feel like they had gone back in time. Yeah. And you see some Roman soldiers and they look like, there's one guy in particular that looks like a guy in a Hollywood costume. Mm -hmm. But just something about the quality of the color that they created in that place really sold it. And I, to me, that, that made the whole movie and then, of course, the big spoiler is that the Nazis hadn't made a mistake, that this dial that Archimedes has created wasn't a time travel device. It identified a particular space-time rift that would bring whoever had the dial back to this moment because he needed help. <laughs> he needed mm -hmm help defending the city from the Romans. So he just cast it into the future, hoping someone would find it and come back and disrupt this. And there's this moment with the actor playing um, Archimedes sees them. He comes up and finds Phoebe Waller-Bridge and, uh, you know, in Indiana Jones, and he's holding the dial and he says, Eureka, Eureka, like it worked, you know? Mm -hmm. And they realize... She's like, he forced the deck. Like, whatever you set it to, it was always going to bring us here because he wanted help. And they did this. They, You know, the Romans thought it was a dragon or something, this yeah. huge flying thing roaring around the sky. It was smoking. You know, one of the engines was blown, so it was trailing smoke. And, you know, and it, it distracted their attack. And, uh, I mean, I just, I thought that was amazing. And then Indy wants to stay. Mm-hmm. Which was touching, you know. It's so touching. He's just like, you know what? I've been, I've been looking at this. I'm home. Like this is where. Yeah. There's nothing for me there. She's like, we got to get back, and he's like, back to what? You know. So, 
the backstory is the scene. He and right. he and uh, Marion were separated. You know, and she was yeah. filing, filing for divorce because right their son Mutt, who we meet in Crystal Skull, has died in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It's really heartbreaking, but I mean, it's yeah. it's not like some crazy stretch either. It's like lots of young men died in Vietnam, so. Mm-hmm. Part of his curmudgeonly old, lonely old man thing is that he's just been completely heartbroken over the death of his son, and it has ruined his marriage. And we do get to see Karen Allen come back at the end. You know, Marin comes back, and I think there's there's a moment that seems to be that there might be a reconciliation there. They and, do the they redo the lines of uh, right where they're on the ship in Raiders, you know, and he's all beaten up and she's like, where does it hurt? And he's like, you know, everything hurts here. Everything <laughs> yeah. hurts. And he's like, yeah. oh, this isn't too bad. You know, and he points his yeah. elbow and, you know, his head, and then he points to his mouth, you know, and she kisses him. Yeah. So they redid that, which I, th- I thought that was a really neat, it was a very you sweet. know, it, yeah, I, I'm with you on the ending and I'm so glad that there wasn't anything in the trailer that gave that away because I was just so, it was so surprising and so cool. I felt, I just loved that ending, you know, with, uh, where where they go back in time. I just, like you said, that was just handled so well. And it was, I think, uh, I'm going to look here, but I think Mangold, uh, well, there were there are four writers listed, but Man, Mangold is listed in there as well. But I just felt like it was a very smart script. You know, we we talk a lot about these big blockbuster movies that they spend the you know this was a three hundred dollar film, and we talk about these other ones where you know they look good and they have all the action and everything, and then the script is the weak link. But I just felt like it was really smartly written you know again there weren't corny no they didn't put a lot of bad one-liners and and that kind of thing and i I just felt like they really stayed true to the character and you know how he would have evolved from 15 years from the previous one that we saw and and i want to i'm going to come back to this in a minute because this is set in the late 60s um but Mangold, like in Ford versus Ferrari, he really understands, like there is a, that's a movie about race cars. And he under he really understood the need in that movie to explain to a casual audience that, you know, driving a race car isn't just like hopping in your station wagon and going to the grocery store. Like a race car is a very different kind of machine. Right. And the speeds at which these people go who are driving these cars is absolutely insane. And he does that in a variety of ways in Ford versus Ferrari. But he also he also puts us in the car. So he gives us an understanding of the experience. And then he gives us a visceral taste, a number of visceral tastes of the experience. And he does that so well, like in. When he does the Wolverine movies, he gives you, like when you read a comic book, you imagine what it would be like to have those claws and to get somebody with those claws. And his directing, I think, gives you a chance to vicariously experience 
you know, the visceral, you know, what it might be like to be Wolverine. And I think that's, it's very hard to describe in words. I'm struggling with it. But I think it really makes the movies he directs electrifying. And in this case, so we're in the 60s, you know, which was before you and I were born. But uh, men have landed on the moon and they're, everybody's celebrating Moon Day, right? And so there's a big parade and um, obviously they have fun with the costumes. Um, but there is a quality of the technology and the pace of life and things that wouldn't strictly be on the page that I think he grasps intuitively and conveys on screen. And then when we go to, I don't remember precisely, do they go to Marrakesh or they go somewhere, mm -hmm. they meet up with Sala and, and they go back somewhere dusty uh, and they have a chase through the streets um, that feels very much like the other films, certainly like the first film. So there's a lot of echoes of the earlier films in there. Um, so we get to see those locations, what those places were like in the 60s, right? And the cars driving. Right? Look, it's a period piece, but it's not just a period piece in 1969 New York. It's mm -hmm. also 1969, you know, and, and then he goes. Yeah. So he goes, he has a, a buddy, I guess it's off the shore of Greece, the Antonio Banderas character, who is a diver, and right, all the diving equipment that is from 1969. It looks in, a, in an indie movie, you know. No, and it looks kind of old. Like mm -hmm. that's brilliant. It wouldn't be the state of the art stuff from 1969, right? It's the right the, the Antonio Banderas character is such a wonderful turn for him because you almost don't even know it's him. Yeah, he's not peacocking. I mean, I think he's a terrific actor, but. I'm, I sort of was like, wow, like, I wonder if there were a list of actors that was like, I'll do anything. Let me, let me be, I'll do it for free. Let me be in the next Indiana Jones movie or whatever. Well, you know, famously, because that's what it felt like. You could cast in, that's not an A-list role. You know, he's not in the movie for long. He does a great job. Famously, Daniel Craig is in uh, The Force Awakens as a stormtrooper and, like, doesn't even take his helmet off, you know? And he's just right. like, hey, I'll be a stormtrooper, you know? So, right, pay yeah. me his background. Yeah. You recognize his voice, uh, I right. think, if you're listening for it. But, um, yeah, I thought the Antonio Banderas thing, and then there's a moment where, so the Nazis shoot Antonio Banderas um, in a way that feels not super Indiana Jones to me, but feels very true to that kind of, like these characters would casually just kill someone. They don't care. And um, it's shocking in the moment. And then they make a daring escape and Phoebe Waller-Bridge pulls a double cross on the Nazis and as they're zooming away, she is high on that adrenaline and on having done it. And she's like, you know, that was amazing. You know, I did what I didn't tell him was the most important thing. You know, what's you know what's something to the effect of why the long face? And he's like, my friend was just murdered. You know, yeah. and I, I love that it anchored it. Like, these are fun whirling dervishes of movies, but it took a moment 
to reconnect with the stakes here. And an older man would be acutely aware of the loss of friends and how little time there is left and how precious it is, you know? And I loved that moment. And she's she's got a dynamite smile. She's got a million megawatt smile. And she's a terrific actor, too. So there's a moment where that lands on her and that smile wilts a little bit, you know? But she's her character is also a master of, like, sort of denial and, like, you know... So she's like, oh, well, yeah, sorry about that. And then she shifts gears away from it. But uh, I, I think she was a great foil to Harrison Ford in this. I thought they, their chemistry Absolutely. was terrific. I thought the set pieces were great. I thought they got to have a lot of fun with the ancient Greek stuff. Um, yeah, just I love, love, loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Same. I saw a couple of, um, I didn't read a lot of reviews, but I saw a couple of actual professional critic reviews. It wasn't just like, you know, just a person, um, that both, they both in two different reviews, two different reviewers used the same term about Phoebe Waller bridge. And they said she was insufferable. And I was just like, wow, I, I just loved the character. And they were just like, she ruined the movie. You know, it's just like, wow. I mean, Oh no, uh, I didn't, I didn't agree with that at all. No. I think that she's playing a character that is deliberately as written, uh, is a little insufferable. Mm -hmm. She's young and she's smug. And she's, she's very intelligent. She knows it. Mm -hmm. And she's a cynic, you know, because she lost maybe a bit her like, father. A bit like Indiana Jones himself as a younger man, you know. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I loved that, you know, they injected some real humanity here and there without making it just a bummer, you know. Yeah. Um, but in a, you know, a an action adventure movie, they injected a little bit of that. And I even felt like, I felt like the, even the villains were not cartoon characters, you know, even the two kind of henchmen guys that are going right. along with Mads Mikkel, you know, you don't know a lot about them, but they, they flesh them out just enough for them to seem like real people and not just cartoon characters. Yeah. The goons. One of them was a giant, mm -hmm. and the other was a guy that was in um, was was in Logan, and mm -hmm. he was was he wearing? It looked like he yeah. was sort of wearing fake teeth or something. I found that enormously distracting. Yeah, they had a little is, mustache. His name is Boyd Holbrook, which I yeah. I, I'm just assuming that he's he's Hal Holbrook's son. I don't know that. Mm. 100%. I should know. But they gave him like a set of fake teeth and I don't uh I don't know why. It it affected oh, the way that he spoke. How Holbrook. Hmm. Okay. Sorry. Um yeah. And he was in Narcos. I don't know if you saw that. Mm -mm. He was good in Narcos. Um Yeah, I don't know. I he was the only one in um in this that I, I thought was slightly distracting and not because he did a bad job, but it was those teeth. And I find him just so recognizable. Like he didn't, neither of the two goons particularly looked like Nazis. They like no. big corn fed American dudes. Well, they, yeah, they were American too, you know, so they weren't, cause he had a, like a Southern accent, you know? And right. So, 
Uh, one thing, this is a very nitpicky thing, but one thing, it wasn't like it was bad, but it just made me laugh every time. Anytime they would run, the two of them, it made me laugh because you had 80-year-old Harrison Ford, who is in great shape. You know, we, we'd all for be 80. lucky if, if we could be... in great shape for 80, yeah. We, we'd all be lucky if we could be in his his shape at 80. But he's still an 80-year-old man running. And then she is so tall and lanky that I thought she looked very strange running. So anytime they would run together, it was like this 80-year-old man and this tall, lanky woman. And they just didn't, didn't look natural. And like in Crystal Skull, they end with a moment of the hat, right? The hat blows off the hat rack and blows up to uh, Shia LaBeouf's feet. And mm-hmm. he's leaning down to pick it up. And Harrison Ford walks by and snatches it up before he can and puts it on his own. has a like, nice try, kid, sort of smile on his face. At the end of this one, he makes up with Marion, and we the camera pulls out to give them a moment of privacy. And his hat is hanging on a clothespin outside of the New York apartment on the fire escape. And the uh, iris starts to close in on, literally, he's hung up his hat. Mm-hmm. And the iris starts to close in on it. Just before the iris completely obscures it his hand reaches out the window and snatches the hat out <laughs> so you're like i'm not done yet suckers <laughs> but you better make another one fast if he's gonna make another one because nobody I mean, lives is, forever Harrison board has definitely said you know this is the last one uh, him, i don't sure, know so. um but well the fact that it didn't it, that's something i want to talk a little bit about is so it you know it didn't do that great now it was you know, you have a $300 million budget, so you've got to make a lot to make a, a part. But what do you, do you have any thoughts as to the reason why? Because Crystal Skull, people didn't like much, and it made $800 million. Yeah. Um, so Ultimately. Any, yeah. Or in theaters. In theaters, it made $800 million. Wow. Like 780 or 790 or something. So it was a, and it was a, $250 million budget or something. So it was a hit, you know, it, as much as people say like, Oh, they hated it. And it was the worst one. People went to see it. But have people gone back to the theaters? Like are there post COVID examples of movies that perform in theaters to pre COVID expectations? Well, you had, uh, I mean, just this weekend, people are talking about, you know, the Barbie Barbenheimer, uh, phenomenon where you know Barbie started this weekend and Oppenheimer started this weekend. Barbie did 150 million, I think, and Oppenheimer did like 75 million. Um, and you know you had uh, Oppenheimer. Uh, this got a lot of buzz around it. Yeah, yeah, and but like they were saying, you know, this is an Oscar, Oscar bait kind of movie that they released in the summer and it did a blockbuster opening. You know, right. um, but you had. Um, you know, Top Gun made a gazillion dollars. You know, it was a gigantic hit. So, uh, I don't know. I I just, I kind of, I mean, my thoughts a little bit. I wonder if, you know, one, maybe because people didn't, the perception was that Crystal Skull was bad, that people thought, well, this one's going to be bad it's too. It's over, yeah. It's over. Also, it had been, what, 15 years since the last one. So, you had, uh, and, you know, our... Do you know, like, look at, you know, your daughter? Do do younger people have any? Do they really know this character or, or care? You know, a lot of the younger people weren't right. They weren't even born when the last one came out. Right. You know, so I don't know, but it, it, I, I, it's just a shame because I, you know, 
we talk a lot about sequels and prequels and requels and all those things. I and, had a senior moment. Sorry, go ahead. I oh, I jumped the gun on that. Go ahead. Okay, but you know, so all of these things are going to get made, and I have nothing against sequels, prequels, all if they're done well. If they're and, good, yeah, if they're good, and this one was good, so it. You know, I don't know that. I mean, obviously Disney loves money. So if I say, well, this wasn't a cash grab, that maybe is not exactly accurate. But I felt, as we've talked so much about James Mangold, I I felt like I, I saw a lot of people saying, you know, the, the first three are all that should exist, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Um, but I really felt like, you know, James Mangold and the other people put everything they had into it. And, um, it, this was about as good as I could expect. I, I felt, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's wishing that stuff didn't exist is what, where's the, where does that lead you? Right. I mean, you can say, oh, if the franchise is one, two, three or great. And then four is like, nah, it's sort of a sad fizzle. But if you say one, two, three are great, four was disappointing, and five was a slam dunk, I think it brings the franchise back. You know? And, you know, look at James. What are there, 25 James Bond movies or something like that? I don't yeah, know what right. the exact number is. Right. And I will, I imagine I will be in the theater for the next one. You know, they can make James, as far as I'm, as long as they're right. good, and most right. of them have been good, they can make James Bond, and they probably will make James Bond movies as long as there are movies so and same with indiana jones if they had been really high quality films they could have made an indiana jones every two or three years as far as i'm concerned you know and then in the last decades you know yeah i think you know one thing i noticed watching them all back to back in a week was he does continue to protest in some version like, I don't believe in magic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there have been five movies. At this now. point, it's like, you know what? Magic, which, I think it's real. <laughs> he's seen the power of, of the of the Hebrew God, right? Yeah. He's seen the power of Christ. He's, uh, I guess, interdimensional beings, right? Um, he Voodoo, watched Molaram pull a yeah. beating heart out of a guy's chest, mm -hmm. right? He drank the blood of whatever and turned into a thuggy zombie. Um, so, I mean, you can say, well, that's some of that. You can have some sort you say, well, aliens aren't, um, religion, but still supernatural. And, and then in this one, you have time travel mm -hmm. and you go, well, that's technology too. And you're like, yeah, but it's time travel though. It's still science fiction. So, you know, you couldn't have one every two years. Like, I don't believe in this junk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, well, what? At what point will you begin to believe in this job? Right. If he yeah. does every couple of years, you seem to live through some unbelievable human experience. If James or James Bond, if, if Indiana Jones were alive now, he would be like a conspiracy theorist because he'd just be like, they're hiding all this stuff from you. <laughs> well, that was the other thing I loved about this was Moon Day, right? And everybody is and everybody. Care. Is on top of the is, is over the moon because we put men on the moon and he the last thing we saw him do was you know 
put together the the last of a set of interdimensional beings that took off that their spaceship was buried and then they vanished not into space but into interdimensional space so he's kind of like yeah. moon landing <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. You wouldn't believe what I've seen, you know? <laughs> so he is unimpressed. And and they don't make a big deal about it, but I just mm -hmm. thought that was a delightful touch. Yeah, Everyone just thinks he's this old grump. How can you not be excited about this? It's like, ah, oh, you wouldn't believe me anyway. You know, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> they give him a, he retires, and uh, they give him a clock. And he the next thing you see is him outside, and there's some homeless guy in the street. Well, he's just giving the, giving the yeah. clock to them. <laughs> One o'clock. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I I really really enjoyed this one. I couldn't be happier that it was so great. And I will once it comes out on streaming, we're going to definitely watch it again. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I'll definitely watch it again. I need to revisit uh, Crystal Skull. We should probably watch it for the because we've done three out of five now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we should. We haven't done the original, but um, but yeah, we should we should revisit it in, in Crystal Skull at some point. Well, we could talk about the original one um, for sure. I feel like I've seen it. I watched it just of my own accord a couple of months ago, and then I just watched it like last week with Nova, so it's pretty fresh in my mind. I'm sure I've watched it the most of any of them. But so, is there anything else that we haven't uh, covered? Did we get to Did we get to everything? I think we got to everything. I think I think we got to everything. To, to me, my favorite stuff about this was just the sort of romance of the era, that these kind of swashbuckling, you know, archaeology movies as an action-adventure thing, it really is about the romance of history and the magic of history. And... I think the triumph of this movie and James Mangold as director really put us in these places. So it wasn't just going back to ancient Greece. It was going back to 1969 New York and to the, uh, you know, uh, off the, the shipping boat where they go down in the, in the diving suits. And it really is a kind of a historical romance, uh, in, in all those settings. And, uh, the other movies did that to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like the opening sequence of the first one where you're in the jungle temple really felt um, evoked a very specific mood kind of right out of a comic book that I thought was absolutely dynamite. So Spielberg's sets had their own sort of romance it was a it was a it was the comic book pulp it was that kind of romance it was like imagine being in egypt right in a, a basket chase through the streets mm -hmm. um this one really felt there was a care to creating a texture of of the time and place in each of these set pieces that i thought i thought in in many ways made it the richest of all five mm -hmm. um in temple of doom there's a scene where they kind of they figure out that behind the wall and they're on their way down to the sacrifice and there's a cave there's like a cave under the thing that's all written it looks like the mouth of hell it's all lit lit in red and i thought that's terrifying you know but to me that that shot that set piece 
really gets to the heart, if you will, of that film. You know, yeah, it's this like sure. deep in the, you know, in the terrifying underworld of dark magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one, you've got that wonderful father-son relationship, and that's what makes that one rich. But everything feels a little fresh scrubbed to me. Like everybody's makeup is perfect and the uniforms are all spotless and it all feels a little bit right off the costume rack to me. Yeah. And the, the best thing about that movie is the, is the chemistry that he has with uh, his dad. Right. Yeah, um, I would agree with that for sure. And that, that makes that one particularly special. And then the fourth one, you know, you watch the fourth one. The fourth one was a little bit all over the place, and as much as I love uh, Kate, it's Kate Winslet, right? As much as I love mm-hmm. Kate Winslet, Kate that Blanchett. character, Kate Blanchett, sorry, um, that character never really feels like it's a part of the same film. It feels like a kind of a caricature in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I like the relationship between him and Mutt. Uh, I think Shia LaBeouf is a great actor on screen. It does feel a little bit like, and this was intentional, but I thought it was a little distracting. It does feel like they're kind of wrestling, you know, like it's a tug of war. Like they both have got their hands on the hat and they're kind of, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's contentious. And so, you know, and the set pieces, the CGI and that's very specific. And the, the, the storyline of that one is kind of hard to follow. And you keep seeing this skull and they the very late, they're like, it's spaceman. And you're like, well, what did you think it was? Yeah. You know? Like there's just so many, they find the skull and like, Oh, what is it? It's so, uh, maybe it's in the fifties, they wouldn't have seen that shape, but the elongated head to us just as alien, you're like, well, it's, it's an alien dude. I mean, right. So, I mean, it just doesn't quite, doesn't quite, find its balance and i i yeah. feel like in this fifth one it really does it's a it really finds its balance and it, it it takes his age and it uses it to great advantage despite the fact that he's just not 35 anymore right and you know one thing that i think that i didn't really address is also with this one i felt like that you know going in i thought oh this is going to be super cgi heavy and it wasn't they 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 did a really really good job i felt of blending cgi with you know they really seemed to do as much on location as they possibly could and there wasn't a lot in it that felt like obvious sets um so I, i just thought it was a really good blending of you know despite the criticisms that we had with the uncanny valley nature of the young indie that they just they did a really good job of making it feel more like old fashioned filmmaking, which I think is lacking in the Crystal Skull. It really stands out all the CGI stuff in it, and it makes yeah. it feel apart from those other movies. Whereas this one, I felt like it stands alongside them a little better. They yeah. also, I felt like did, you know, they did enough nods to the previous films without being like hey look remember this you know uh which is a which we see this a lot with especially when you are doing 
sequels or prequels to movies that you know are 20 or 30 years old or whatever so it, it just you know those those can feel really like fan fiction and this didn't didn't feel like that to me well and they also feel like the same bit right oh you loved this bit last time so we're doing this bit again but we put a different hat on it you're like mm-hmm. it's the same bit um you know that we love that first bit because it felt so fresh the the sword fight where he pulls a gun and shoots the guy right and there's a wonderful backstory on that about how he was just had a fever he was really sick that day he's like can we just do this there was a whole choreography and he's just like um you know so we see versions of that again to some of them are better than others and there's a version of that there's an homage to that scene in this one too um but it's a little bit like almost like the filmmakers can't win because you had um until this one Temple of Doom made, even though it was still a massive hit, made it made less money than Raiders and it made mus- less money than Last Crusade. And they did something very different with with uh, Temple of Doom. And, you know, there were people that didn't like those changes. And so then with the third one, they're like, okay, we're going to bring the Nazis back, you know. And so I think there's a, on the one hand, People say they don't want the same thing over and over again, but then you give them something different and they're like, oh, I wanted it like it was before, you know? And, and I, again, I think they were very smart with this because they, they gave you a, for the first time since Crystal Skull, they kind of had got to have their cake and eat it, eat it too, because they have that opening where it's classic indie, but then they also have him in the present day, but they still have Nazis involved with it. Yeah. yeah but it's time travel that we have... So I just I just thought they did a good job of of giving you the feeling of what you've gotten in the past, but also putting a different spin on it and, and not having it just be, well, it's exactly this. We're going to do exactly the same as everything that you already loved, you know? Right. Right. I mean, the bad guy in this one is a Nazi. The old movies, you know, the bad guy in this one is a Nazi. And so you think, oh, it's Nazis again. And in a way. Yeah, yeah, it's Nazis again, but in a in a in a major way, it's not. No, it isn't. It isn't Nazis again. The Nazis are there making his life miserable, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's it's ancient Greece. <laughs> that's yeah. that's this movie is ancient Greece, and so I don't know. I think I think you know. That chimes with him being like, "I'm ancient history, you know. I'm mm-hmm. I'm a relic myself." And they go way back. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to share a little story with you earlier. I was uh, uh, okay, on a film set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I was playing uh, a role in a scene in a movie where I was a boring teacher. And, you know, so they have a bunch of extras in the class and that, you know, that the leads are all young people and the whole crew, everybody's young people. And uh, there was a moment which I, in between takes, I was making a joke about something and I was, I started saying Bueller, Bueller. Nobody knew what I was talking oh. about. <laughs> they all just looked at me like, are you having a stroke? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> No, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, no. 
they, they had never even heard of the movie, and I was like, oh, that's it was it's a good movie. <laughs> you should check that one out. It's from the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. You know that ties in with the movie itself because that was another little touch that they did. Because you had, you know, famously in the in in Raiders, you have it's basically like all the girls in the class are in love with him, and the one girl has yeah. written "Love You" on your. And yeah. then today, it, today in 1969, he's up there lecturing, and the kids are just not interested. You know, and no, these are these students are not interested in the past; they're interested in the future. We just put a man on the moon. You know, it's yeah. like it's all this amazing future and. Uh, you know, in Vietnam, I mean, there's all kinds of other stuff going on that, that the students are activists and they just think he's this boring all day. He's like, nobody's even done the reading. They all look bored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an interesting little touch that they did yeah. a different, you know, different spin on that. So, so I guess we would both recommend this, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think if, I mean, if, if you haven't seen it yet, and you've listened to us ruin the whole thing for you, it's still worth going to see. I think just it's so well done. I don't think like Nova, I'm ever going to say it's my favorite of the franchise yeah. because we were there as kids to watch that first one come out. And it's funny, you go back and watch them all back to back. It's almost quaint. I mean, it's quite a little movie. There's just, mm-hmm. its ideas are big and its scope is sweeping and it felt so original at the time. But even compared to its four sequels, um, it feels like the most modest of of the films. And it doesn't, there's no fat. I mean, it just gets right to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we were already there. He was like threatening them with the bazooka. And I was like, are we here already? Like, oh, well, we're almost, this is almost it, <laughs> you know? And, and Spielberg and Lucas both, at least early on in their careers, pretty famously, you know, weren't doing giant budgets. You know, I mean, they're, the budgets were, were pretty, you know, by the time you got to the second Star Wars, I think Lucas was funding them himself. himself. But, but you know, not, I, I want to say Raiders was like a $35 million budget or something like yeah. that. You know, so, so yeah, I, I can't, obviously there are people, but I, I can't imagine being, a big Indiana Jones fan and not being entertained by this, you know? Yeah. If you're um, somebody that's like, well, I wasn't going to go see it. Cause I think that the crystal skull ruined it. I'm like, mm, do yourself a favor and check it out. I, I think it's really, it's, it really exceeded my wildest hopes. I was like, well, maybe it'll be good. I thought it was great. Yeah, <laughs> I really thought it was great. And you know, at fifty years old, when you've kind of seen everything, it's like it's it's you, you don't get excited about things the way you did when you were ten or whatever. But I, you know, I did have some of that feeling of being a kid in you know going to the in the summer, you know, going to see all yeah. these blockbuster movies, you know, back then. And that's you can't we ask watched for a lot it more than that. We watched it in the theater, and it it was the theater was pretty full. It was maybe three quarters full. And a small theater up here, and uh, it was a lot of people. There were some people older than me. There was some people in their forties, you know. But there weren't a lot of kids. But when the when the credits rolled, people applauded. I don't. The last, oh, yeah. I can't think of the last time I was in a the movie theater. Maybe that's something people do up here. But 
Do you remember people that when were, we were kids when people used to applaud? I, I don't yeah, know when people were gimmick. really excited. I'm like, I, you know, they can't hear you. Yeah, but I, <laughs> yeah, right. I can remember. I can remember that. And some at some point that faded out. But I can remember yeah. as a kid that being a thing that people would applaud in the yeah. theater. So. That was great. You know, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> I also so thought we, it was funny. I mean, for live theater, you, of course, you're literally letting the cast know that. But in a movie. <laughs> Yeah. They, there's no feedback. There's no mic in here. They can't hear you. So um, anyway, we yeah, we're about... at time. What? Okay. We talked, a little bit. we talked a little bit about what we were going to do next. Right. Um, so. Are we going to do the Jamie Foxx one? Yeah. So I actually watched this over the weekend. I, th- I think it just hit Netflix, but it's a, a Netflix original called They Cloned Tyrone. And which is a funny title, but it's Jamie Foxx and John Boyega. And then uh, I don't know what her I don't know what her name is off the top of the hand, uh, top of my head. But she was in the WandaVision show and she's in the the uh, Mar- Captain Marvel movies, which I haven't seen. Uh, but anyway, she's great, too. But it's a uh, it's like a sci fi comedy black exploitation mashup. Um, so I think that'd be fun to, uh, to talk about. Yeah. Okay. That's what we'll do next. They cloned Tyrone, Chris and Chris talk movies at, uh, at gmail.com. That's our handle. We're on the socials, like, and subscribe, blah, 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 all of that good stuff. We love it. And, um, unless you have anything else to add, my friend, I think that's everything. And Chris and I will talk to you next week. <laughs>